You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Leonzo Vargas. Leonzo is the CEO of Global Village, an entertainment and wellness company that brings wellness to minority and underserved urban communities. Global Village's flagship event is the Village Jam, a monthly concert where the headliner is the audience. The first Village Jam featured only five people in 2016, but today they draw hundreds to their monthly concerts in Philly, DC, Brooklyn, Austin, Houston, and London. In this episode, you'll hear how this unique mix of music, wellness, and community was inspired when Leonzo, who was born, raised, and hardly ever left the Bronx, visited his heritage country of Honduras and saw a different path to happiness. You know, they're running around with no shirt, no shoes in their feet, and for the first time, like, it hit me. They're smiling. Like, it doesn't matter that they don't have shoes on. Literally, I had Jordans on, and I never wore them after that day. He'll share how after years of struggling to find peace in a rap career, he finally found his purpose when he held the first Village Jam. I never felt more sure about myself and confident and comfortable in my life. And you'll hear how he's working to bring peace and wellness to underserved urban communities across the world. And it's just crazy because I think like out of all these years that we're like in school education, like we were never taught to love ourselves. So there has to be somebody to do that. It's okay to be you. Back in the mid 90s in the Bronx borough of New York City, There was an apartment building. In that building, on the fifth floor, a Spanish-speaking single mother lived in a small apartment and shared the single bedroom with her four kids. Those four kids all attended PS114, where one of those kids, Christian Vargas, played the flute and fell in love with music. That kid would go on a long, winding journey that eventually led him to find peace in himself, in music, and in his heritage, so much so that he changed his name. But in order to find that path to peace, he had to break free of the one he was on, which, as early as middle school, was a path of violence. The three middle schools were lined up as in like a triangle. Where you lived, you had to cross through the area of the other school. So getting to school, basically you just had to pass kids from the other school. And for some reason, the kids from one school didn't like the kids from another school. So it was like this thing where it was just like kids were jumping each other and jumping one another. Just on the way to school. Just on the way to school. Getting out of bed is just like the hardest thing because you have to go to school and you don't know what's going to happen. Going to school, when you're in school, the climate is crazy. Like nobody's learning. Most of the class is yelling at the kids to be quiet. Then from there, once you leave from school, you've worried about... You got to go back through. You got to go back through. You know what I'm saying? Man, that joint was really hitting me because it was really a phase, you know? It's really a thing that like you have no control over. So... It got to a point where one day my uh, my brother was heading home from school and uh, these kids came up to him and they were about to jump him and they uh, like put a blade to his neck and like, you know, I was getting involved with a lot of things such as, you know, um, stealing from stores, you know, cause there was just things that my mom couldn't afford that like, you know, I thought I wanted. Me and my brother were getting like in a bunch of fights with other kids at schools. And um, my mom was just like, look, you gotta get out of here. So you're gonna go and move with your dad. And my dad lived in Bucks County. Mind you, this is now, I'm about 
13. I'm 13. I haven't seen my dad since I was like eight, seven. Wow. So what do you remember how you felt when your mom first told you that? I was like, cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> at this time, right? So at this time I was going... So the after school program that I went to called SCAN, they did this program called the Fresh Air Fund where you would, where a family would connect with a kid in the inner city and the kid in the, from the inner city will go with this family and they will spend two weeks. So I went away and spent, this was two years back to back, spending time with this family in New Hampshire. And this is the first time where I'm like seeing houses, fields. Before that, I used to only see houses in the movies, and I thought it was like fake. Like I didn't know, I didn't think it was real, you know, because so, I never went outside the Bronx. Right. You had never seen it. I never seen it. So when I went there, it was the first time where, bro, I'm seeing like land, water. <laughs> I'm swimming in lakes, and I'm just like, my mind just opened up so much. And when I came back, my mom told me that I'm moving away with my dad and he lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, when she told me that I was happy, I was, I remember just feeling like, wow, I could finally like get away from this. Yeah. So you came to Bucks County. Was there any culture shock? Yes, absolutely. What was that like? I went in the homeroom. I remember going in the class and I was the only black kid in this class, wow. you know? Yeah. I remember calling my mom and telling her I wanted to go back to the Bronx because I didn't feel comfortable. Mm. You know what I mean? The kids didn't look like me. They didn't laugh at the safe jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the, the food wasn't the same. And um, I remember asking my mom, I want to move back to the Bronx. And then she said, what if I move up there with you? Wow. And yeah, did she? And she did. Wow. And she did. Because... You were missing. Yeah. And you were and you were missing home. Exactly. Wow, that's incredible. And when I look back at it, I'm like, man, like the fact that she sacrificed that just putting herself back in that situation and trying to make it work with my dad just for us. We're talking about a woman who migrated here from Honduras. She's living on her own, taking care of four kids, right? Gotta finally was able to get a job doing home care. Good job, right? Enough to pay the bills, you know, and she just like left that in order to move us. Did it take long for you to feel comfortable in this new environment? Not in my household, but like at school, yeah. Because then I started getting into playing basketball, right? And I started getting into music and writing lyrics, you know, and I would still write lyrics. I created this uh, band in, in middle school and I would write out lyrics and I would write song lyrics for us as a group. And this was my thing. This was... I didn't have to be home. Whatever I could do not to be home. So you found the comfortable environment in music and, I did. and friends. In music and friends, yeah. Very interesting. Right. So how long until you took your first trip to Honduras? All right, so my mom does, does this thing, right? <laughs> Check this out. My mom does this thing where if you're not using anything, so if it's in the closet for about like a couple months and you haven't touched it, she'll put it in this bin, in this barrel. Yeah, so... Everybody, everybody who's from Central America or Jamaica, Africa, even like I have Asian friends who family loses, know about this, this barrel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so what happens to the stuff in the barrel? 
what happens to the stuff in the barrel? She piles it up and then she sends it to Honduras. As like, yo, you're not using it. There's somebody over there who could use it. But before then, I never understood. Like, she always, my whole life, somebody else in Honduras could wear that. Somebody else, don't throw it away. Throw it in a bin. Throw it in yeah, a yeah. bin. And right? so before you actually saw this and, and witnessed this, you what did you say? Were you like, what do you mean? Like, exactly. you're giving away my stuff. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Exactly. Like, stop giving away my stuff. So one day, bro, I wanted some sneakers. And um, she bought me some other pair of sneakers. And I was like, I'm not wearing them. So she literally, like, two months later was like, we're going to Honduras. So she bought me tickets. Me, it was me, my mom, and my two sisters. We went to Honduras. When I first land in Honduras, I'm like, all right, this is something completely different than I've ever seen. So we get in the airport. I see police officers with shotguns, right? We get on the bus in San Pedro, Honduras, and then we go to the village where my family stays. And that's called Sambo Creek. At this time, it's completely dark out right but there's dogs running all over the street you know and i'm like all right different so i wake up the next morning i go to one of the stores in the village and i see like kids running with no shoes on their feet you know but they're happy though just it's normal it's an everyday thing you know it's hot you know so Honduras is right on right on the equator so like um you know, they're running around with no shirt, you know, just shorts on, no shoes on their feet. And for the first time, like, it hit me, like, they're smiling. Like, they're smiling. Like, it doesn't matter that they don't have shoes on. Literally, I had Jordans on, and I never wore them after that day. I actually gave them away. Wow. On the trip? On the trip. While I was there, I've, I, I felt the sense of, like, village. Everybody knew each other. Everybody knew each other in that village. Everybody took care of each other. Everybody took care of the other person's child. You know what I mean? Everybody made sure everybody else was safe. And the most important thing is everybody made sure that everyone else ate and was fed. And that was the first time I got a glimpse of like, all right, this is a village. Like, this is what a village is. Everybody taking care of their own. You know what I'm saying? Or each other like they're their own, you know? Yeah, so that, when I, this is, I'm 18, the summer after my freshman year in college, and in my head, I'm like, all right, I know when I come back, I'm going to do something with music and village. So you were, where were you studying for college? At Mercy College. Okay, and what were you studying? A sociology, and I was studying music business. Okay, so you knew then that you wanted to do music as your career? Oh, absolutely. So I went to high school. It's crazy. So when I went to Bucks, moved to Bucks County, I moved to Ben Salem. Then I spent the rest of my middle school years there. And then I spent a year in George Washington High School, right? So when I'm in George Washington High School in the Northeast, it's like the same feeling as the Bronx. Like you're not learning in class. Like kids are fighting in the lunchroom after school. You know, it's like fashion is more important than education. You know what I mean? So um, I remember telling my mom, like, if I'm going to be here, my so I moved back to the Bronx. Like I haven't seen my family, been around our aunts, uncles, and cousins. And she's like, all right. So at this time, my mom's dealing with, she's getting diagnosed with diabetes. So it's like three weeks, three weeks that she's like losing crazy weight. She's not eating, right? Doesn't have an appetite. And then one day, like I get a call, um, I get called out of school. And um, they tell me that my mom's in the hospital, got diagnosed with diabetes. And I'm like, mom, like, we might as well move back to the Bronx. Like, I'm not going to school. You know, I've been lying to you about me going to school. I've been cutting class. Like, I don't want to go there, you know? And then she's like, well, what if we move somewhere else? So she had a friend that lived in Warminster. And that's where William Tennant 
high school is. I ended up going to high school and meeting Will Thomas and Dave Silver. Yeah. So did, you went to school then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. So yeah. you graduate college. I don't. Gra I don't. You didn't graduate I did college. not graduate college. No. I was never going to class. I was recording in my dorm rooms. You know, we I was studying documentaries of these artists, you know, and like how they got to where they got and things of that sort. Eventually I um, fell out of fell out of college, right? But to me, I'm like, I've, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. So it didn't matter, like school did not matter. You didn't even care. You just knew what your destiny was. Exactly. And at the time, now I'm going up to Philadelphia to perform at fraternity basements. With and Dave. With Dave. Yeah. So you, you said that you have these two influences now. You have music, which has always been a part of your life. You have this passion for village, which you discovered in, in Honduras. When did those two things start to converge in your mind? There was this big point in my life where I hit this wall, bro. So I was pursuing music, I was recording, I was doing the shows, but there was a time where like, I just felt empty and like anxiety. I was just living, waking up every day with this big knot in my throat, you know, feeling down. And um, just because I was really, out, one, I was not around good people at the time, right? Like my best friends weren't around, you know, I, I had a manager and we were in a situation with this group where to be honest, like they, it wasn't the most positive environment, you know, like it was like drug heavy at this point, you know, to keep my mind focused on making music because to me it was like, I'm an artist, I have to make music. I started taking Adderall heavy, smoking weed, you know, to avoid my reality. So there was this event, it was like after I made an America after party that was thrown at the union transfer, right? And I got a chance to perform on that stage. Right, it's the biggest, biggest performance up to date for me. So I'm excited, doing it, ready, get on stage. And there's like so many creatives there backstage. Everybody, it's, the, it's an exciting moment for the city. The crowd is packed, but the energy was off. How is it off? People weren't there for the music. People were there to be seen. So at that point, now I'm going through a point where I'm like, all right, I got to change this whole thing. I have to change everything. During this run, I was like uh, couch surfing on a friend's couch. This is the next day I woke up and I remember looking around and I'm like, why am I here? That was the last day that I ever put marijuana in my body. I got a job as a server. I told myself like, all right, I'm gonna refocus me, who I wanna talk to, what community I wanna talk to. I made a Tumblr of who, like what, what does the person, the ideal person that I wanna connect to look like? What values do they have? What interests do they have? And I wanna build a community filled with those people. And who was that person? People who were connected to themselves, Damian Marley, Wyclef, you know, Lauren Hill, Bob Marley. Like what if there was a world like that for people my age? So I worked this catering job to, to buy my own studio. I'm at this studio. Right. So I chose to live, move into the studio that I'm going to create out of. I uh, raised enough money to pay for the studio for a year. After that, I quit my job. So like I didn't have income coming in, but I had my own space, you know. So now I'm in this space. I'm creating, you know, but creating and like not having enough food to eat. You know what I'm saying? So like not having enough food to eat. 
um, really being alone most of the time, right? And that's where I had to be like, all right, what am I really doing here? I knew I wanted to create village. So then I had friends. One was from Dominican Republic and the other one uh, was from Korea. And I was telling them about my story about being in Honduras and how it was a village. And they were like, it's the same in my country. And I was like, global, global village, global village. And that's where the name came from. All right. So now we're at, I'm in this uh, studio space. I got the village and I'm like music, music, village. So I'm still recording as an artist, but I'm like, I know I do not want to, it's not, it's not a recording that I want to do, but music is what I love. I meet one day, I'm in a studio and um, one of the interns from Red comes in with this kid, sits down and he's silent the whole time. Silent the whole time. And I look over and I'm like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Miyako. I'm like, what do you do, Miyako? He's like, I'm a songwriter. He's like, yeah, let me hear some of your stuff. And I'm like, you know, I also record. Here's some of my stuff. We exchange headphones. And he's like, your stuff's dope. I'm like, your stuff's dope, bro. Let's connect again soon, real soon. I'm going to let you know what I got going on. So we set up a meeting for the next week. Okay. So the next week comes around. Miracles come in. We have a meeting at five. No, we have a meeting at four. We have a meeting at four, right? So Miracle is on his way, but he tells me that he's stuck in traffic, so he won't be able to get there till four thirty. At five, I had a studio session with Ben Thomas. Oh yeah, right. right. So Miracle calls me. He's like, "I'm gonna be late." This is now four fifteen. I'm like, "You know what? You better off not even coming." Hang up the phone. Ben Thomas calls me up and he's like, yo, man, I'm having technical issues with my studio setup. Um, let's reschedule. I hang up the phone. I call me and go back. I'm like, you know what? Come through. So he came and he's like, oh, but I'm also with a friend. That friend happens to be Raph Jones. So now it's me, me and go Raph Jones in the, in the studio. And, you know, we get to know each other. Then we take a break from the, Mind you, this is only supposed to be an hour meeting. We go grab something to eat. And then I'm telling them about the Global Village vision. And they're like, this is great. I would love to be a part of it. These are now my co-founders. Wow. So just in that, that one day, yep, and you that guys one connected day. on the vision so strongly. Yeah. That So did you know going out of that night or discussion that you were going to together start yes. this movement? Yes. And I remember I had a friend who came, who, who picked me up that night. So we ended up record. we came back from getting something to eat and we ended up recording to 3 a.m. <laughs> wow. Crazy. It was supposed to be just an hour long. Just an hour long. Wow. And then um, I had a friend who came over and um, he dropped me up. He picked me up to drop me off at my mom's house. And on the way there, I remember telling him, like, I don't know why, but I know these guys are going to be around for a really long time. Like, you just know, you just know, you just know. Yeah, man. So then um, time goes on. And so now we're still in this. I meet them like at my studio. We're recording and they're going through it with me. This is winter of winter of 2016. Winter of 2016. And we're recording. And now, mind you, the, the studio that I'm at, like it has... Uh, cracks in the ceilings, bro, like mice running around everywhere. When it snows, it snows inside. We're recording with coats on. We're sleeping with coats on. And these guys are sleeping next to me. I just met them a couple of weeks ago, you know? And like, I before I met them, I felt alone in this whole thing. I felt super alone, man. And for the first time, I felt like I met friends that got me, that understood me. 
but we were like, what if we also can get more people who understand us like us? Time goes on and now we're at the summer of 2016 and we're like, all right, what do we have to do to, to find folks like us? So we start going to this event called Kavanaugh's River Deck Reggae Nights on Sundays. Okay. We go every Sunday. So I connected with the head DJ to let us come in with cameras and, and iPads. To, and I told him like my mission was to connect with people who go there. So after the, after the summer ends, they have somewhere else to go, you know, so... Kev, when I tell you every Sunday we were collecting like 500 emails on iPads on iPads, right? So we set it up so on October we could have this event called Village Nights. Every Sunday, no matter what, rain, yeah. we were still there. You were there. We were there, you know? And um, when it's not Sunday, we're recording, you know, we're, we're building our, our brand up. We're talking about who's coming to our events, what type of person we want to get, what's our logo, what's our message, what's our mission statement, right? And then on Sundays, it's River Deck Collecting, Collecting. Okay, cool. Building up for this event called Village Nights. Okay, Village Nights come, comes along and we're like, all right, let's print out flyers, let's post it on the walls, let's send out invites. Let's, we have all these emails, it's going to be packed. The day comes, and um, I remember us handing out more flyers, handing out more flyers. We had a DJ coming up from North Carolina. Oh, it was going to be amazing. It's an amazing night. All right, the event's at 8. 3 o'clock hits. The venue owner calls me. Hey, I just got a call. The inspector of the club is going to come and uh, make sure that we have everything that we need in order to run the event. But I just found out that I don't have a, I'm not covered by a certain insurance, so you can't have a DJ tonight. Mind you, the DJs from North Carolina has been on the road since 10 a.m. I'm like, man, like, I have a DJ from North Carolina that's coming. This is like one of our biggest nights. You've been prepping all summer all for this. All summer for this. <laughs> all summer for this event. All right. So then he's like, all right. What if you guys just played music off of a playlist or if we had the DJ upstairs on the second level when he plays music upstairs in another room and, and it's just going through the speakers to the people on the on the dance floor. And I'm like, no, like they need the DJ. But I'm like, I cannot cancel this event. One is like demoralizing to our team. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right. Like I cannot. So the DJ, DJ, we got him set up upstairs. We expect like 200 people is going to be dope, man. The night opens, we open the door. Bro, like only six people came to the event that night. Oh my gosh. Only six people came to the event that night, man. Wow. And what goes through your mind when this happens? I'm like, inside is hurting, but through the event, I got to act like it's all cool. You know? I'm like, I'm like embarrassed, you know? I'm like, you know, feeling bad for my team who's been putting all this energy out the whole summer. And I remember after the event, I'm sitting on the curb and I'm in tears, bro, like in tears. And I'm just like, you know, God, like what? Like, what do I have to do? Like, you know, and um, I remember we were leaving and um, Raph was like, yo, you know why this happened? Because this isn't us. We're not club promoters. We make music. We're making music. And I remember going home the next two weeks and terrible bro like i was having to figure out like what i was gonna eat every day i woke up and uh, but i knew i had to pay my dues like i knew something great was gonna happen but i knew i had to pay my dues you know then this one day one day is raining it's pouring in the studio man and i'm just like 
I'm trying to record. I can't record. <laughs> like nothing's working. Like I'm trying to. I'm trying to say like the illest lyrics, but nothing's coming out. And um, I go lay down. When I lay down, I look up, and there's water dripping on my forehead, <laughs> bro. Water torture. <laughs> wow. And I'm just like, bro. Like I just start crying, bro. Like it's just like, man, am I crazy? Like should I give this up? Like. Is this for me? I could, I'm a smart guy. I could, you know, be a manager somewhere. And I'm like, and some in my head is like, don't give up. Just keep going, keep going. Miyako literally calls me and he's like, yo, man, like I'm driving around the studio. Are you upstairs? I'm like, yeah, he comes up and he's like, I got to show you something. So Salons just dropped an album at that time. And he's like, this is how they create music. So we're watching the documentary on how she made the album and they're jamming. It's all improv. So I look at Miracle and I'm like, we're going to start a jam. Then the next week, uh, we started the jam at the rec room. It was six people. And and what was it like? Like, how did you feel during that jam session? From the moment that we we said we started the jam, I never felt more sure about myself and confident and, and comfortable in my life. The jam starts and only two instrument players come, right? And we live stream it and I'm seeing somebody at this time. And the next day, it's like she saw it on live streaming. She's like, you know, like, I don't know if it's that good. Maybe you should like go back to recording. But I was just like, nah, just watch, just watch. The next, the next, and we were having this every Tuesday at the time. The next Tuesday, 10 people come. Following Tuesday, 15. The next one, 30. Then we got to find a new space. And since then, it's been growing, man, to now we're at um, last jam on Thursday. We had 288 people at the African-American Museum. Yeah. Incredible. So clearly, this has inspired an entire community, 288 people. How have you seen the effect that these jam sessions have had on your fellow musicians and your community members? Like, are there any specific yeah. people or examples where you've seen so the impact was, firsthand? The Village Jam episode six at the store in West Philly called ACAF. So we have the we have the jam, and this is the first time that we we go outside the rec room, and um, we're jamming. And at the end, there is this guy who cried. He was crying, and there was also this um this woman who was crying. And um, the guy who was crying, his name's Justin, right? He comes up to me. He's like Leonzo. I never believed in God until now. And after that day, I was like, we're not entertaining. This is wellness. Like, we're, this is self-healing. We have now created a place where people can express their self-traumas, but in a super different way, you know? And I was just like, you know, we're going to keep this going because, one, the problem is at that time, there was only places where you could perform. There's only open mics where you have to wait for a headliner to come, right? And I'm like, what can we do with all these amazing artists and people? What if we all perform together? So, um, yeah, that's one specific moment that changed the, everything that we did from that day when he came up to me and said, since this, I've never believed in God till today. Right. So there was, there was a Rec Philly event recently, um, which I attended at the end, we all had a meditation together, everybody that attended. And you yeah. do that at the end of every jam session, correct? So that's clearly you embracing the wellness aspect of this company, of this community. So did you immediately, when you heard that, start to 
think about other ways to incorporate wellness like that? Or was that something? Yeah, that that's what I learned. learned. So during that time when I was in the studio, Kev, the only thing that kept me sane was meditation, jogging and reading. That's it. That's it. So I knew if, you know, one thing that I've learned during this whole thing is that keeping your sanity is a talent. And that's something that people don't don't speak about much. Like it's easy to let it all go, but to maintain your sanity after all the things that, that you go through on a day-to-day basis from like figuring this thing all out on your own, that's a talent. I knew that meditating worked for me during all of that, during all of that, that I knew that meditation can help other people, especially people of of my complexion, you know, black people, you know, like meditation, yoga, you know, is when if you type it in on Google, you see white white folks, you know, and it's like as black people, we need to know that self-healing is important to us as well, you know, especially especially the circumstances that, you know, that is handed handed to us, you know, systematically, you know, we got to learn how to like self-heal, man. So I, I knew that I wanted to bring that to the jam. It's not going to be just music. This is going to be a space where you leave out of here a better person every single time. So at each monthly jam sessions, when you're there with the community, how does it compare to the level of community that you witnessed in Honduras? In Honduras, it's like, we're all poor. So we don't have to lie to each other. You know, we all know each other's situation. This is a small town. We all see what's going on. Yeah, we yeah. all know. No you need know, to hide. <laughs> no need to hide, right? And at the jam, you get the same emotion of rawness, of like transparency, you know? And I feel like that's, that's what has us like so so close and makes people like come back a lot of people leave out of there with friends that a lot of people have met their husbands their wives at the jam you know girlfriends best friends and i feel like because it's a space where the windows open like there's no tent you know you get to see everyone is all raw that's the level of community just the fact that it's just like super transparent or even from me you know there's times where like i go in and i'm like look guys like i had a week and this is in front of 200 people i'm saying this i had a week i need you guys to help me push through this you know um this happened this week that we dealt with this we dealt with that and i feel like you know that's what draws us the fact that everyone knows that this is a space where you can just be you, you know, and you don't have to hide. And it's cool. And and that's why at the jams, I don't wear shoes. Yeah. Oh, right. Because you're you're transparent. You're, you're you. Yeah. You know, because one thing that I learned when and especially in the inner city was before people even shake your hand, they look at your shoes. You know, and I know growing up in school, it was a thing. If you had sneakers that were not the best looking, you get made fun of, you know. So when people come to the space and they see me, no shoes on, it's like, oh, you know, it's home. And that reflects what you what you first saw in Honduras when you. Wow, I didn't even put that together. When exactly. you, you know, got rid of your Jordans. Exactly. Incredible. Um, so you were born Christian Vargas. Yes. Where does the name Leonzo come from? I went by the artist name Christian Express. I was building the name with that, but I felt like I was just rapping. Doing well at it, you know, shows that sold out, but I was just rapping. And that was because at that time I didn't know who I was, you know? So my 23rd birthday, I'm 27 now. My 23rd birthday, my mom asked me what I want to do. And I was like, 
I want to have a cookout the same way that we used to do back when we was when I was younger. Yeah. You know, a family party, family function. So we have uh, my birthday is May twenty fifth, so this is Memorial Day weekend. We have a party, a cookout for my birthday. My my cousins come, my aunts come, and I'm just so happy. Like I was so over, like oh let's go get drunk at a bar. Like you know, it was about our cool family. So my aunt's there. And she's like, how you doing? I'm like, good. I have a question for you. Like, tell me about my grandparents. Like, you know, tell me about my family. She was like, you know, your grandfather's name is Leonzo. Leonzo was about music. He made sure everybody in the family had something to eat every night, had clothes on their back. You know, everybody in the town trusted him. And I was like, Leonzo. And she was like, you know, what's crazy is when you were born, that's the name that they were going to give you, Leonzo. Once she told me, like, what, what he stood for, I was like, that's it, Leonzo. And especially because, like, a lot of my cousins, since um, born in America, I could see that they're being Americanized, you know what I mean? Like, they're not speaking Spanish as often, you know? Because of that, that's why I changed my name. I was introduced to my aunt. Her name was is Aunt Carmen. And she really started telling me about my culture. My culture is called Garifuna, right? So what uh, the Garifuna culture basically is, is um, when during the slave trade, when they were being sent to the Americas, one of the ships uh, crashed down and... Uh, around St. Vincent. And then they started this tribe called the Garifuna tribe. And then um, from there, the Europeans wanted them to be slaves and they didn't want to. So they sent them on this trip called the Voyage of Death to Uruatan, Honduras. And um, in that space where they were supposed to die, like they flourished. And now Uruatan is one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world. And um, yeah, so from there, the people, the Garifuna people now live in um, Honduras, Belize, Nicaragua, and the United States, and it's about 250,000 of us. Yeah, so that's why I always wear the white, yellow, and black flag, the Garifuna flag around my head. So like, I wasn't always like confident in being that, you know, like, cause people are like, well, what are you? Then I have to explain. Oh, you speak Spanish? Explain. So like, I stopped speaking Spanish for years, you know, like, it's like, you're black. Like, how can you be Spanish? And, you know, until like, I came to grips with who I am until my aunt told me who my grandfather was. Then I took it all in. And then we fully started going with like Global Village and the jam and all this. And bro, I'm telling you, ever since that name changed, my whole life has changed. So the village is global. What does it mean that it's to you that it's based in Philadelphia? So Philly's home, right? And Philly has this, this deep culture. And when it comes to like authenticity, when it comes to healing, when it comes to self-healing, right? And, um, I really got introduced to this like community of things that I was doing already, but I didn't know what it was until I met a friend named Raina and she lives in the West Philly community and she introduced me to people who practice the same thing that I was doing, you know, which is just spreading love, spreading energy and keeping yourself alive, you know, with good people around you, you know. What Philly has taught me is that um, it's okay to be you. Like, that's it. Like, I became a man in Philadelphia. I learned who I was in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia embraced me. What would you say is a common misconception about you? That I'm African-American. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, um, 
And again, I'm Afro-Latino, and it's important for me to say that. It's important for me to say that I am a black man who speaks the language of Spanish, right? Who speaks the Spanish language is very important just because I feel like that that isn't known as much. And it, it also surprises people when I tell them I speak Spanish and it kind of offends me when they're like, speak it. Oh man. You know, and people I'm do that all the time. And it's people of all colors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who do this. So it's like I have to inform people that it's a thing. So they're more accepting of it. And they just don't box people they they just don't box people in into a stereotype like if you speak Spanish you look like this. Like, nah, you know, we come in all in all in all shades and colors, you know what I'm saying? It's, so I think that's important to just like acknowledge that, yeah, I'm Afro Latino. And I'm not here to start a revolution. You're not here to start. I am not here to start a revolution. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, I think I'm a community architect, and I bring people together. And um, when someone sees someone gathering that many people, I'm not even. And it's not like it's a typical concert. So it's like, how is this person bringing all these people together? You know, and I could sense that. You know, I've gotten word back that some people think that it's like. So, like a revolution or something like starting this mission and it's like my only mission is to show people that you could that it's important to love yourself like self-love is important and there has to be somebody to teach that you know what i'm saying um and it's just crazy because i think like out of all these years that we're like in school education like we were never taught to love ourselves so there has to be somebody to do that and that's it you and know? you don't think it's revolutionary that you're bringing that to the forefront of people's minds? It's revolutionary, but I'm not here to start a revolution. My mission is not to, all right, everyone. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. no, it's like, this is what it is. This is what I do. This is what I want to share with you. You Take know, it or leave it. Take it or leave it. That's it. Uh, if you could send a message to yourself in the past, so at any point in time, whether before, like in the Bronx or while you were in Philly with, in the studio with, you know, water pouring on your head or at any other moment, what would you say? Keep the destination in mind, but don't control the journey. Yeah. Keep the destination in mind. More importantly, don't try to control the journey. You know, like you're going to get to where you want to get, how you're supposed to get there. You don't control how you're supposed to get there. You know, we have these thoughts and visions of like how we're going to get somewhere. And 99% of the time, it doesn't go the way you thought it does. You know what I mean? You get there. Maybe you had an idea, but not exactly how you thought you were going to get there. So, yeah, man, just keep the destination in mind. and um, But don't try to control the journey and just understand patience. And that time, time is your best friend. Time, you know, from... I was young, like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be this. And, like, I don't even care about that anymore. So, like, I would battle against myself to, like, why am I not famous yet? Why am I not known yet? You know, because it was the wrong intent behind it, you know? But what I had to learn was patience. I had to learn self, you know? Um, and I had to learn that time, with time, all these things, whatever's supposed to come to me will come to me. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Uh, from your perspective... What's the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? All right. We got to diversify wellness, bro. Yeah. We have to diversify wellness. And, um, you know, and when I say this, I'm saying this like with respect that 
wellness is not just a yoga class for white moms who are drinking pumpkin spice lattes. Trust me. And, I lo- and, and you know, I love y'all, you know, but it's important to diversify wellness and make sure that we're not only having wellness programs for these people or yoga sessions for these people. Like we're in, a, we're in the inner city of Philadelphia with a melting pot. There should be more people of color in your yoga class. There should be more people of color in your, in your meditation class. And I feel like when I go to certain, you know, mainstream wellness websites of Philadelphia, you don't see people of color, man. You know what I mean? Especially. And I feel like there's this whole wave of people of color understanding uh, self-love, eating better, living better, community, you know what I mean? And I feel like those people aren't highlighted enough or to show that that's a thing. And I feel like that's the biggest problem right now. It's like, man, let the, let the black folks in, you know, if I go to a wellness convention, you know, I should be seeing people of color there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. Man. So on the flip side, then from your perspective, what's the most encouraging thing about Philadelphia? how much people have been supporting each other lately, especially the creative community and how much the arts is being pushed to the for- to the forefront now. That's the most encouraging thing right now. And I feel like there's this energy in Philadelphia, like everyone feels like something is about to happen. Something is about to happen. Everyone knows it. And I feel like everyone's just preparing for it. So that's the most encouraging thing right now. It's how much people are supporting each other. It's beautiful. It hasn't been like this always for as long as I've been here, you know? If you could, whether it's a tweet, an email, a billboard, anything, if you had one message that every Philadelphian could receive and ponder, what would you say? If we continue doing what we're doing now, supporting each other, open positive communication, being honest about when it comes to supporting one another, And what that means is if somebody asks you, hey, can you come to my event? And you really don't want to go because you've been to a previous event and it wasn't that good, whether it was disorganized, whatever it was, giving honest feedback, right? Giving honest feedback to one another. That's what I mean by like open, positive communication and keeping that integrity of pushing our arts to the forefront in five years we will be where we think we should be right which is the same way atlanta's killing it right now with the with the arts the same way toronto's killing it london's killing it new york city la you know we will be right there so it's like basically like imagine where we will be if we continue to support each other without ego in full support of like treating each other like a village full support you know For more on Leonzo, you can head to podphillyhoo.com forward slash Leonzo. That's L-Y-O-N-Z-O. The link is in the show notes. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can follow along on Twitter and Facebook at podphillyhoo. I'd love to hear from you. Philly Who is a Q9 pod with editing by Max Graham podcast artwork by Lauren Carhart and music by Lee Rosevere. For Q9 and Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. I'll see you next week and let's end this episode Global Village style with a meditation led by Leonzo. So if everybody could please close their eyes for the first 30 seconds 
give gratitude for existence, for breath, for connection, for love, just for being. For the next 30 seconds, I want you to think of somebody who could use this energy right now. Somebody in your life is just going through it and could just use some positive vibes. Just put them in mind and send them this energy. For the last 30 seconds, to think about where you see yourself a day from now, a week from now, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, go manifest. Where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? Actually, no. Where are you going? Who's around? Who's not around? What's around? What's not around? And those are your answers right there. Manifest that and bring it to life. But first, just visualize yourself and congratulate yourself for making it this far. With love and compassion, because you all you've got. Self-love, self-love. And we're gonna bring that to life. We're gonna bring that manifestations to life by screaming to the top of our lungs. I want everybody who came to the Brooklyn Jam yesterday to hear us. All right? Let it marinate. Let it brew. No pun intended. Y'all ready? One, two, three.